All right, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. If any of you follow the church's page on Facebook, you saw that we were going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. Actually, Pastor John texted me yesterday saying, "What what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I thought it was just, you know, inquiring, you know, wanting to know what we're going to be looking at, what we're going to be talking about. So I, I told them kind of what the title was and, you know, things like that. And really didn't give him the information he was looking for. He texted back, he goes, okay, really what I'm trying to do is make a post on Facebook and I need some kind of graphic. And honestly, I, I don't really know what graphic that I would have used for what we're going to be talking about today. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint it down to one kind of thing that you can use a graphic on. So then I just kind of sent him back all kinds of information. I was like, do whatever you want with it. And then I was like, honestly, you could probably just put something about Second Timothy. Um, so I think that's what he ended up settling on. Neither of us really claim to be super creative. You know, we, uh, and, and honestly, for me, when I'm, you know, putting together a message and things like that, um, the title is really the last thing that I, that I come to. And most of the time, in my mind, it's not really that great. It's nothing really profound. Uh, it's really just kind of the bow that you put on it. Um, but yeah, so that, that, uh, I'm not really creative when it comes to coming up with titles. Uh, if you are interested in the title, the title for today is the visiting team. So I don't think that really gives any clue away as to what we're going to be talking about. You just know we're going to be in second Timothy chapter three. Um, but to give a little bit more insight about what we mean by the visiting team, I would say that probably most of you here who know me know that I'm a pretty big sports fan. I've haven't done anything to really hide this fact. I've mentioned it before. Uh, mentioned about how I, I love playing different sports. I was just out golfing yesterday. Don't know why. Um, didn't go the greatest. Uh, but there's always that one or two shots that felt really good and gets you to go back again the next week. Uh, that's what happens. So I'm going to put myself through torture again sometime soon. Um, but anyway, uh, whether it's playing sports or watching sports, I'm all in. Especially, and I've mentioned this before, even if it's a sport I have no familiarity with, cricket, whatever, if it's like win or go home, like the loser's out, I'm all in on that. I'm dialed in for the entirety of that match because the intensity, the excitement is is just always through the roof. So that's kind of where I'm coming from as, as far as kind of being uh, a real big-time sports fan. Um, but And I've also played sports growing up, and whether playing sports or being at a sporting event, I've been in many situations where I'm on or been rooting for the home team. All right, so the team who's at home, they're in their stadium, their arena, whatever you want to call it, that's their place. That's where they play regularly. Um, But there have been a few instances where I've been on the visiting team or the road team, right? And there's one instance that I can think of where I was rooting for the the road team, and me and a couple of guys, we traveled down to, uh, back when I was in college, we traveled down to Cleveland to go see the Tigers play uh, in Cleveland there. Um, Thankfully, this was quite a while back, so they weren't, you know, in the state that they are now. So we felt pretty confident that they were going to do pretty well. They did well. They won. And I got to say, being on the winning side of the visiting team and being surrounded by everybody who's rooting for the home team, um, I'll just say that in my younger, less mature days, I was very obnoxious to the people around me about how well my team was beating their team. Um, But the whole point of that is when you're the home team, you have the crowd backing you right? Every, the majority of the people who's there, they're backing you, they're rooting for you. When you're the road team, that's the complete opposite. You start doing something well, they're booing you. 
Uh, and if you mess up, you slip up, they're going to let you hear about it. They're going to let you know about it. Um, and so kind of tying that into what we're going to talk about this morning, I would say that for many years, uh, we could say that Christians in our country, we could have considered ourselves to be the home team, right? Uh, many Christian values or ideals, they, those were really the mainstream or the, the popular, the majority of ideals of the majority of the people in the country. Um, now, I would say it doesn't take much time to look around and realize that that's no longer the case. Um, nowadays, Christian ideals, Christian viewpoints um, are really kind of viewed as extreme or even sometimes bigoted, whatever they, you want to call it. Um, the point is we no longer as Christians have the backing of the crowd. We're no longer the home team. We no longer have the majority backing us and, and you know, pushing us to go forward. Um, we are now the visiting team. But this morning, what we're going to do is we go through, we're mostly going to be in 2 Timothy, but we're going to jump around in a few different places. Um, but what we're going to see is, first of all, that that really isn't something new, okay? Us being the visiting team isn't necessarily something new. But also that just because we're no longer the home team, this should not change our approach or our outlook at all. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be, like I said, mostly in the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, but let's go ahead and read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read the first nine verses there um, as we, we dive into the word this morning. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. That's for the kids in here and the teens that disobedient to, to parents. That's a, that's a tough one to read, right? They're probably going to let you hear about that on the ride home. Um, verse 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, inconsistent, or I'm sorry, incontinent, uh, fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth." Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed to further, no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Let's go ahead and pray one more time uh, before we dive into the message. Dear God, I just thank you once again for bringing us here this morning, and I pray that as we go throughout uh, this morning, as we continue to go into your word, that you would just speak through me, that it wouldn't be my words, but that it would be you uh, speaking through me, and that you would just allow me to deliver the message that you've given to me this week. And I just pray that we can all open our hearts to what you have for us, that we can uh, be willing to listen and be willing to examine ourselves um, as we, we look into the text and, and look at how we can uh, maybe adjust our lives, get back on track and different things, and uh, also to not be discouraged uh, by no longer having the backing of the crowd. God, so I pray that as we continue throughout this morning, that you would just continue to bless us as you already have. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this passage here in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, uh, really in the first few chapters, or a lot of 2 Timothy to, to be true, um, Paul is kind of addressing to Timothy about the idea of apostasy. So we're going to get into uh, a little bit more deeply into what apostasy is. But really, a quick way to describe it is just a falling away. 
All right, and as we go throughout the text and as we go throughout the, the message this morning, we're going to see how that becomes more clear in the picture of what we're talking about today. Um, but also to kind of put things into context of this letter. And uh, actually, this, is, this message is something that uh, I think it was, it was probably several months ago that I saw something on Facebook from one of my old college professors. He had posted something kind of along, uh, similar along these lines of what we're talking about today. And that was where I kind of, you know, started thinking about this subject and things like that. And then over the past several months, there's just been multiple things that kind of redirect me back to that. Uh, one, one being uh, just within the past month in the youth group on Wednesday nights, we've gone through a series where we looked at the book of Second Timothy. And one thing that we kind of came back to every single week to regain perspective about this letter is that this was Paul's last letter before he died. He, and he's writing this to Timothy, who he refers to multiple times as he's writing him as his, his son. Now, he's not his biological son. He's really kind of his son in the faith. So really, uh, how we kind of describe it, how we define it, is Timothy was kind of a disciple of Paul. All right, So Paul kind of tutored, discipled, mentored Timothy, however you want to word it, um, in the faith. So this book of 2 Timothy is, again, his last letter to Timothy. This is uh, a young man who he is very close with because he's kind of helped bring him up as a leader in the church. Okay, he had a background of, of being faithful to God uh, just from his grandmother and his mother who raised him that way. But Paul really kind of came alongside him and kind of encouraged him to become a leader in the church. And that's what Timothy really kind of is at this point and going forward. And so Paul, he's taking this chance, his, this opportunity that he has to write this last letter before he dies. He knows he's about to die. As you read through this book and you get to the end of this book, it's very clear that Paul understands his time is almost up. Um, but he's taking this time saying, okay, this is the last letter I'm ever going to be able to get to Timothy. This is the last information I'm ever going to be able to give to him. I need to make sure that it's probably the most important, like, last message that I would want to leave with him. And really, as you read throughout this, this letter, how I kind of view it is Paul, he gives Timothy a handful of warnings of what things are going to be like as time moves on. But also, he continues to encourage him to, to stay on track, to keep the faith. Uh, no matter what's going on around him, he encourages him to, uh, reminds him of the faith that he has in Christ and says, listen, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get wild out there, but don't let that distract you from what you've been called to do. And so that's what really is going on in this, in this book of Second Timothy and the, these several chapters of, as, as we said already, apostasy. This is where Paul is kind of giving that warning. He's telling him the danger of what's going to be happening. And he also kind of gives him uh, a list of several things of what to kind of look out for. So as we see, look through this passage, I just want to pull out a few um, main points that we can pull from these first nine verses of chapter 3. Uh, Paul opens this, this chapter where he says, This also know, in the last days perilous times shall come. So what he's talking about here, in the last days, uh, that's, a, that's a term I think a lot of time we hear in the church. And many times... We, we use that when referring to the end of days, right? Revelation, that, that all kind of comes to mind when we hear the last days. But really what Paul's talking about is really any time from between the writing of this letter to when Christ returns. And really why he's talking about that period is as Christ's return draws nearer, these characteristics, these uh, traits that we see he mentions in, in chapter 3, they're going to grow. They're going to intensify as time goes on. Um, there are a few different things that we're not going to focus in on a lot of the different things here. Um, but one of them that I'd like to pull out is where he says people will be lovers of selves or lovers of pleasures 
more than lovers of God. I would say that's definitely something that we see in our world today. Um, a lot of times it doesn't present itself that way, uh, but that's really kind of, and we're going to touch on it here in a little bit, that's really just kind of a mask, okay? So, uh, be, be presented to us, uh, maybe a phrase that we hear a lot is just do what makes you happy, okay? Sometimes people say that in making a decision, sometimes say that in, uh, when it comes to just how you live your life, right? Do what makes you happy. And really what that's doing, and Pastor John talked about it uh, a little while back in, in a sermon series where he was talking about um, really God's relationship to, to us and our relationship to God. And really that when we do things like that, of just do what makes us happy, now we're making ourselves to God. We're valuing our ideas, our thoughts above what God has told us in his word. So this idea of do what makes you happy, it sounds great, right? We all love to be happy. Who doesn't like to be happy? Um, although I, I, I do think we all maybe know somebody in our lives who they just seem to love and enjoy being miserable. Um, and they like to kind of spread that to the people around them. Hopefully that's none of us here. Um, but I would say for the most part, we all like to be happy. So when somebody says something like that, do what makes you happy, we're going to grab onto that. It sounds great. It doesn't sound negative. But really that's what it's saying is lovers of pleasure, lovers of selves, more than lovers of God. We're now putting our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own desires ahead of what God would have for us and what he's clearly laid out for us in his word. Uh, we also see as we go throughout this passage, there's other passages throughout Paul's letters, but really throughout the New Testament where we see that people will be despisers of those that are good. <clears throat> and really, I think we see that today as well, right? Not just people who hate good or not just people who value their own opinion above God's, but also those who are getting now we've talked within the last several weeks, Pastor John's talked about how, uh, you know, in reality, none of us are actually good, right? We're all sinful. We're all sinners. And that's why we need Jesus. But what it's talking about here, those that are good, I believe what Paul is saying here is those who, you know, live as God would have them. Those who follow after Christ, who put him first. So when he says the spies of those that are good, people who hate those who proclaim the name of Christ, right? If we're pro proclaiming the name of Christ, I would say that we're doing something good. Uh, and I think that we would all agree with that. So despisers of those that are good. I think one way that we see that in our world today, and it's not even necessarily specific to Christianity or the Bible, but it's impossible nowadays to just simply disagree with somebody, right? We can't just have differing opinions. If you have a different opinion than, than I do, we have differing opinions, but now also I hate you. And, like, I'm going to say hurtful things about you and just, like, tear you up and down. And we see that all the time on social media. Um, and it's, it's crazy how we can't just, people just can't have a, a discussion anymore. We can't just have a disagreement or even uh, a calm, friendly debate. It's you're different than me, so you're wrong, and I hate you because of it. So that's one way that we see in our world today despisers of those that are good. Um, Another thing I want to focus in on, a few different verses, I want to pull some information out and, and get some clarity on some things. Verse 5, uh, we see, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So these are the people I've mentioned a little bit before about those who have kind of a mask, right? He says, and he says they're having a form of godliness. So kind of going back to what we said, do what makes you happy. It seems great. sounds great. It sounds positive. There are positive words being said there. And that same applies to those who have the appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So again, it's really just kind of, you know, a very superficial, a very surface level, uh, I guess, amount of godliness. Where really when you look into things, when you dive a little bit deeper, you realize, oh, this person is just really putting on a show. 
And I would say how we could classify that today is really false teachers. And we're going to get a little bit more into false teachers later on. But false teachers, they're, they're everywhere. And sometimes they might be false teachers without realizing it. And, one way, and what I mean by that is kind of going back to the social media thing. Um, I think a lot of times maybe we've seen people share certain posts from some other, somebody else. It might be a picture. It might be whatever. And you read through it, and it, it seems all right. And we, we've kind of talked about this uh, just this last Wednesday in youth group. Uh, this, the last month we've been looking at four different other belief systems, four different other religions, and kind of examining what they believe so that we can better be, be better prepared to share the gospel with them, kind of know what they believe. Uh, and there are certain aspects of other religions that we can look at and we can admire. And that's, that's one of the, the gospel-sharing techniques that we talk about. You ask, ask what somebody, say, hey, what do you believe? What, what do you believe in? What religion are you? Whatever, however you want to word it. Um, and then when they come back with an answer with some other kind of belief system, you can admire different aspects of that religion. Because, um, again, there are different bits and pieces where, okay, that's similar to what we do. So this last week we talked about uh, Mormonism. And uh, so they, you know, they believe in the existence of God you know, and, uh, and different things like that. So the admire part would be like, I really admire how, how much you value, you know, and, and believe in God's existence and things like that. And then you use that to kind of create a relationship and then you share the gospel. Um, but we realized as we were going through and looking at the Mormon beliefs is that some of the things that they say, their beliefs on the surface, it sounds good at first. But then you realize what it's actually saying, what it truly means, and you're like, oh, that's way off, right? You look in the Bible, and we were able to look at some of their beliefs, and we looked at what the Bible says, and we saw how it doesn't match up at all. But on the surface, it seems fine. And that's the same thing with false teachers. And so going back to the idea of these posts that we see on, on social media, we might see something be like, oh, that seems awesome, and then we share it, and then we don't realize that what, is that, what it actually means kind of goes directly against what the Bible says. Um, and we see that even in the church, right? False teachers, people either being... Uh, on, on one end of the spectrum, legalism, where they're applying all these extra rules, all these extra things and hoops you have to jump through, otherwise you're not really saved. Or you have the complete other end of the spectrum where they're so hyper-focused on grace, where it's like, oh, it, it, it doesn't matter you know, if you sin. Or they also say, well, if you're a follower of Christ, that everything good is going to happen to you. Nothing bad is going to happen to you if you're truly a Christian. And if bad things are happening to you, then maybe you were never really saved at all. That's not anything what the Bible says, not anywhere close. And so that's an example of false teachers that we see today. But also, I think of an example that we see of false teachers, whether it be in the church or fellow Christians or whatever it is, um, we see different examples of other belief systems kind of woven into biblical Christianity. And it could be things like, we, like I already mentioned with Mormonism. We see different like new age things kind of woven into biblical Christianity, uh, speak it into existence, kind of things like that. Um, that's not in the Bible. But that's different ways where we kind of see false teaching, false teachers present in today. Uh, in verse 6, he goes on to talk about, for this sort are they which creep into houses. All right? So this idea of creep in means... This could ha if we're not being vigilant, we're not paying attention, this could happen without us realizing it. And then all of a sudden, these people, these false teachers, these false teachings are just part of our society, part of our church and things like that. And so that verse to me really screams out to us that we need to be alert. We need to be on high alert, be watching out for these things because it can kind of creep in and really kind of come out of nowhere seemingly. But really, it was kind of a slow process that was going on there. It goes on in verse 6. 
to say, creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. So again, these things that aren't of the Bible, these things that are of the world that come in, kind of creep in, and slowly we start to get distracted away from God, away from things of the Bible, and we're being focused on things of the world, and now we're, we're being pulled away by a variety of different sins. So going on in the passage that we read, just to kind of clarify what's going on in verse 8, where he's talking about those two guys, Janice and Jambres. Um, and I did look up the definition of those. Sometimes I, I just, or I'm sorry, not the definition, the, uh, the pronunciation of those names. Uh, sometimes I just kind of go with it, and I feel like if I just read it and say it confidently, you guys will just be like, you must be right. <laughs> it sounded good to me. Um, but, you know, Hebrew, Greek, or in this case, Egyptian, aren't really my first language. Uh, but that's who these guys are. And really, Jannies and Jambres, these were the sorcerers that Moses faced back in Exodus. So you go back and, and we see that when Moses is trying to fight to get the children of Israel, or, well, they weren't children of Israel at that point, uh, but when he was trying to fight them to get them taken out of the, the captivity of Egypt, um, he's basically having to go head-to-head with different sorcerers uh, that were employed by Pharaoh. And they're trying to say or, or trying to combat any miracles that God was doing through Moses or through his brother Aaron um, to really kind of discredit them being able to come in and have any kind of authority. And so these were guys that they, they were going up against. But as you go throughout all the different things that they went head to head on, in the end, the true miracle, the true power of God outshined theirs. So one example that is pretty popular, pretty famous, uh, was when Moses and Aaron uh, threw their rods onto the ground and they became snakes. They became serpents, right? And so these sorcerers, they did the same thing. Now, different, there's differing opinions on how they actually did it. Some believe that there was actually some kind of black magic involved that made it kind of work. Many people, most people believe it was just kind of sleight of hand. Um, it's where they just kind of made it look like there was a rod, and then real quick the rod was gone, and then there was a snake there. Um, people think that they, some people think that they were snakes that were charmed so that they were stiff like a rod, and they threw them down, and they weren't charmed anymore. But in the end, Aaron's serpent came and swallowed them up which is an amazing picture of how there's going to be counterfeit, uh, counterfeit teachings, false teachings, however you want to word it. They're, those are going to exist or different ways that go against God's way. But in the end, God's way always wins. God's word always wins. And so the true miracle that happened when Aaron's rod was turned into a serpent, that was the true miracle. And that ended up consuming the other serpents and really displaying that God's truth, the one truth, came out on top. And so here in verse 8, when he says, Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, so do, so do these also resist the truth. So these false teachers, these people who are going to creep in, they resist the truth. Or the people that we read about before, the huge list that he went through, the people that we're going to see around us in the world, they resist truth. Now, one reason that people resist truth is because, I mean, the, the famous, the popular saying is true, the truth hurts sometimes. And in, in respect to the word of God and the gospel, that truth offends people because it's exclusive, right? Not everybody's able to go to heaven. You, the only way to get to heaven is through Christ. So one reason that people are offended by the gospel is because it's exclusive in that aspect. Another reason people are offended by it is because now this means that I have to acknowledge that there's a God, there's a higher power than myself that I have to submit to, and that means I have to give up all these things that I know I should have to give up. That's another reason why people get offended and they attack the gospel, they attack, attack the Bible. And so these are multi, there's many more reasons as to why people might resist the truth. Um, but the same way that uh, in verse 8, 
that they withstood Moses and really tried to fight against him, tried to withstand admitting the truth that everyone was able to see. Instead of doing that, they just kept trying to fight back and fight back. And in the end, the truth came out on top, right? And that's the same thing with our world today. People are going to fight. They're going to uh, battle against. They're going to try to uh, really fight against the truth because uh, that means that they have to come to and admit the fact that they, that there is a creator that's greater than them that they uh, have to submit to and that they need Jesus. A lot of us don't like to admit that we need something or somebody. Um, and so, again, multiple different reasons why people would resist the truth. But the same way that these guys resisted Moses fighting back, that's what the world is going to do uh, with the truth. They're going to resist it. You can also look at Janies and Jambres as another example of having the form of godliness. Right? On the surface, it seemed like they were doing the same thing that Moses and Aaron were. But as you got, as things got weeded out, time went on, you saw, okay, this is all fake. It's all phony. And, uh, the, the true godliness, the truth of God came out. And then real quick, again, in verse nine, uh, that's where we see, uh, that the truth is going to come out. He says, but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men. Eventually the truth is going to come out. People are going to see with their own eyes. Okay, that this was wrong, this belief system was wrong, everything was wrong except for what the Bible says. That's eventually going to come out. So at one point or another, that's going to be revealed to us and revealed to everybody. So I mentioned before, we're really, this idea of falling away, these people, these characteristics growing as time goes on, we've, we use the word apostasy. So just to get a little bit of a definition of apostasy to clarify what we're talking about before we move on, uh, really, I mentioned before, it's a falling away. You can also define it as a withdrawal or a defection. So defecting away from something. But there's also the implication of deserting a post. It refers generally to the abandonment of Christianity of unbelief or for unbelief. That's what we, when we're talking about these verses, these passages, and we use that term apostasy, we're specifically talking about the abandonment of Christianity for unbelief or some kind of other belief. So that's what's going on here. That's what we've been talking about as, as far as apostasy, really this falling away, a withdrawal, a defection. But I really like the idea of deserting a post because that means, that implies that you already were in this camp, right? You had this post, this was your job. And so I, that definition to me is something that we as Christians should really pay attention to. Again, avoiding and blocking out these false teachers that we don't allow them to creep in and eventually allow our minds to be changed and, and, and we start to get away from what the Bible says, at that point, we are now deserting a post. We've been, once we put our faith and trust in Christ, we've been called to take the truth of the gospel to the world around us. If we start falling for the other things, the distractions of the world, we're now def, uh, deserting our post. So when we talk about apostasy, when we look at these different characteristics of people in the end times, when we think about false teachers, people that appear to be godly, uh, I want us to remember that definition of deserting a post, leaving our post, going away from the beliefs of Christianity to start focus on um, some other ones. Because again, in the end, it's all going to come out what's true and what isn't true. So as we move on, uh, I, I mentioned that, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about using this idea of being the visiting team. All right, so we're going to kind of continue a little bit with that, that picture of sports. Um, so I know that not everybody is, is fans of sports. Everybody has different interests, different things like that. Um, but we're not going to be using a bunch of different, you know, specific jargon to sports. Also, Paul was the first one to use uh, an image or a picture of sports when he's talking about a race. So if you're not a fan of that, you can take it up with him. Um, 
So as we go on, uh, we're going to move into 2 Timothy chapter 4. But as we look at the world around us, we read what Paul is telling Timothy here. If Paul just left it at this, just giving him a warning, and there's no encouragement, like that's a pretty mean letter to send, right? Like, hey, I'm about to die. I'm about to get out of here, but it's going to get way worse for you. It's going to be awful. You're not going to like it at all. See you later. That would be a pretty rough, rough way to end a letter. But he continues on and gives encouragement. And what I'm going to be called, what we're going to call it this morning is sticking to the game plan. So that's what Paul's doing here uh, in chapter four as he continues. Uh, he, he warns Timothy of what's the company also takes some time to encourage him. So we're going to be in second Timothy chapter four is where we're going to be next. And we're going to read the first five verses of this chapter. He says there, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of the ministry. So, um, there's a couple of things here that we're going to be focusing on, but really, uh, the idea that we're getting from this passage and that we're be, really being reminded of that Paul's reminding Timothy of, because nothing here that he's told him is, is news to him. He's already been taught this, been given this information. It's really a reminder, but the reminder is that our job is simple, but at the same time, our job is very important in verse one, before we see what the actual encouragement is or what the game plan is. In verse 1, I really want to focus on where he says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that Paul does several times uh, throughout his letters and specifically throughout his letters to Timothy. You see it in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Um, maybe different wordings, different times. It's not always the same. But a couple of instances of where he uses it. 1 Timothy 5.21. If you just want to write these down, we're not going to turn there. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.21 1 Timothy 6.13, 1 Timothy 6.13, and 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. So this idea of charging the, I'm giving you this charge, this mission, if you will, before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a way that Paul is reinforcing to Timothy how important this charge is or how important this mission that he's been given is. Um, and he's saying it, listen, I'm giving you this mission. I'm giving you, reminding you of what the game plan is, but I'm doing it in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. That's huge for Timothy, right? Because yes, Paul has been mentoring Timothy. He's been a big part of his life. He's about to leave. And I don't think that Timothy, just because Paul is now gone, that he would kind of, we don't see anything that would suggest that Timothy would fade away from what Paul had taught him. But just in case there was any kind of temptation to do that, Paul is saying, listen, it's not just me giving you this. I'm doing this in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. They both know that I'm telling you to do this because this is what they told me to do. This is what they told you to do. So he's reinforcing to Timothy how important this is by saying, yes, I'm, I'm encouraging you to stay on task to do this task, but I'm doing it in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. So he's reinforcing how important it is. And even though he's not going to be there to make sure that he carries this out, God is aware of what Timothy is doing. So that, that could be a lot of pressure on Timothy, it might seem at first, but also 
it's a good reminder and encouragement from Paul as well by saying they're going to be there. God is going to be there. You have the Holy Spirit with you to help you along the way, to encourage you, and to give you the strength when you think you don't have the strength anymore. So this is the setup that Paul gives before he actually gives him what he has to do. And so that, that's what I meant by our job is important. Okay? Now get back to what our job is simple. Now by simple, I mean there's not much to it. There's no frills. There's not, not, not a lot of detail. It's just black and white, plain and simple. And we see that in verse 2, just that first phrase, preach the word. I charge you, therefore, before God and, the pres- and God and Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge everybody, preach the word. And so that's what he's telling him. Think about, just let's put this into context. Paul, Paul spends several verses, several chapters, really, warning Timothy about perilous times that are going to come. He even does a little bit more of it here in chapter 4, telling him about people who are going to turn away from the truth. He's warning him, giving him these, these signs of look out for these dangerous things. And then he encourages him, yes, these things are going to be happening, but you still have to stay on task, and the task is to preach the word. So again, it's simple and powerful, but powerful, and it's really it's straight to the point. So there's so many times that we complicate things or we make excuses about the world we live in, but again, the simple solution is to preach the word. And like I said, that's, it's, a, it's a simple game plan. There's not much to it, but it's difficult to carry out. Why is it difficult to carry out? We just read a bunch of verses as to why that's the case. And we also ourselves get distracted by so many things every single day. But no matter what it is that we face, preach the word. And we're going to be repeating that phrase several times as we go throughout this morning. Um, so get used to hearing it, I guess. But preach the word. That's what we're called to do. That was the last message that Jesus gave to his followers before he ascended into heaven. He gave the great commission. Take the gospel that you've heard and, and know from me and take that to the ends of the earth. All right. And, that's, and, and we, we've already kind of touched on a little bit talking about missionaries earlier this morning. That's how we're able to, not all of us are physically able to go all over the world, travel all over the world, right? Physically, financially, whatever it is. But we can support people who God has called to go to different places. That's how we are fulfilling the Great Commission, by sending missionaries all over the place. But it's important to not forget about what's right in front of us. We still, in our own, our own corner of the world, our own community, we are still called to preach the word. But remembering also, as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, to share the truth in love. Okay, kind of going back to the whole social media thing, different Facebook posts. A lot of times, uh, somebody might say something on Facebook or whatever it is, and then a Christian comments. Hopefully, they're trying to do it with the right heart. I don't know that they always are, but I can't judge that. Um, They comment something back, but it's not delivered very kindly at all. And it seems almost hateful at times about, and yes, they're speaking the truth. So this kind of goes back to what we're talking about. This is something that seems godly on the surface. There's nothing wrong with the words that they're saying, but what's the meaning behind it? In the same sense, yeah, they're speaking the truth of the Bible, but they're delivering it in a very hateful or demeaning kind of way. They're not speaking the truth in love. So yes, we're called to preach the word, but remember that we've also been encouraged to share the truth in love. All right. So there's where we see Paul kind of reminding Timothy of what the game plan is, what the mission is going forward. But we also see him continue to encourage him because he says, again, in verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but their own lust shall they heap upon, heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So again, this is now putting my values, my ideas, my thoughts and plans above God's. Now I'm starting to worship myself because I'm putting myself 
before God. And now in order to make myself feel better about that or to really kind of justify me feeling that way, I'm going to seek out somebody who's going to teach me what I'd like to hear. Because not, necessarily, not because I'm seeking truth, I just want to be affirmed in what I'm doing. And again, you might say, well, how, how is it that people can find somebody who's just speaking to them? Like everybody wants different things, right? How are they going to find somebody who speaks to them what they want to hear? Well, we read in we, uh, Solomon writes and says that there's nothing new under the sun, right? There, there's not going to be something new that somebody desires, something somebody wants that hasn't already happened, hasn't already taken place. And there's going to be these teachers, these people who, who speak and tell people kind of what they want to hear. And they're going to be able to apply it to themselves and say, okay, I'm good to do this. A lot of times we might even do that by uh, misinterpreting the Bible. We read things out of context. We use scripture out of context just to justify what we're doing. That's really the same thing that these people that Paul's talking about are doing. They're looking for people who are going to say things that they want to hear, say those nice and fluffy things, right? He says they have itchy ears. Itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. Um, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So again, this almost seems like he's telling Timothy, listen, this is going to happen. They're going to not want to listen to you. So it almost seems like, why would I continue on? But right before that, he told him, preach the word. And he says, be ready in season and out of season. And he goes on to say, because the reason you need to be able to do this and do it no matter what, is they're going to want to turn away from this. And we need somebody to continue to preach the gospel, continue to preach the truth while they're seeking those other things. And he gives him some more encouragement, but along the t- at the same time, he's again reminding him it's not always going to be great, right? We talked about earlier about how some people will teach that if you're a follower of Christ, you, you're a Christian, nothing bad is ever going to happen. Well, Jesus himself told his disciples that they would be persecuted simply because they followed after him. Paul here in verse 5, he says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Why would he be telling him that he has to endure afflictions if things are always just going to be, you know, Amazing for him, just for being a follower of Christ. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So again, he's saying, these things, it's not going to be a great situation. It's not going to be a great environment for you to do this. But that doesn't change what the plan is. The plan stays the same. And along those lines, yes, we as Christians are supposed to continue to preach the gospel, take the gospel to the world around us ourselves. But there's also a level of uh, responsibility on us that we need to Yes, be preaching the gospel ourselves, but be making sure that the gospel is being preached. Now, we're going to find out what I mean, what I mean by that by turning to 1 John chapter 4. So 1 John chapter 4, if you want to turn there real quick. Got to find my right bookmark. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> we're going to read the first... Six verses here. First John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it, would sh- that, that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and, they, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God, 
heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this idea of, yes, we are called to make sure that we are doing everything that we can every single day to take the gospel to the world around us. But we're also called to make sure that what we're hearing from other people aligns with what the gospel says. We we read right away in verse 1 to believe not every spirit. Believe not every spirit. Uh, We need to stay on the message, which is the truth of the gospel. We need to encourage each other to stay on the message. So like I said earlier, where sometimes we might share something and it seems like it's nice. It seems like it goes with what the Bible says, but in reality it doesn't. We're called to encourage each other, direct each other back to the word of God. Test the spirits, he says here. Now, what does he mean by test the spirits? Again, measuring everything that we hear, everything that we read with what the Bible says. It's a pretty quick and easy way to do it. Uh, One way that comes to my mind all the time when I read uh, that phrasing of test the spirits is I think of the little like pool chlorine test strips, right? You dip them in the water. They tell you the balance of all the chemicals that are in there. They tell you what you have to spend more money on. They tell you you got to go to the store and buy more of the stuff. It's the same people who make the test strips that tell you you need these products as the ones who make the products. It's just a cycle, okay? But we won't get into that. But that's what I think of when I hear or read test the spirits. When we hear something being preached, when we read something uh, in in some kind of book, uh, some kind of post or whatever it is, we need to go to the Bible, measure it up to that and say, okay, does it match up with this? Do I need to address anything going on here? So that's what it means by test the spirits. Really just measure everything up to the Bible. That's how we should live our lives. Every single day, we need to live our lives according to what the Bible says. Um, it's important to understand here, as we read through this book, as this, uh, this letter here, is that some of John's readers, John who wrote the book, um, some of his readers were being led astray by what is called Gnosticism. All right, so Gnosticism can cover kind of a lot of different things, um, kind of a wide-ranging things, and it kind of changed what it looked like in the early church. And as time went on, it kind of, you know, evolved and things like that. Um, But to kind of address what John's really addressing here, to understand what Gnosticism is, really it's a false teaching about the, one thing is that it's a false teaching about the reality of the humanity of Jesus. So there are multiple different uh, uh, modern day religions who don't believe in the full humanity of Jesus or don't believe that he was fully God. And this is, again, is something that we've talked about previously on Wednesday nights in youth group, going over these different religions. That's one of the foundational doctrines of Christianity, where if you stray away from this foundational doctrine, you can no longer consider yourself or call yourself anything associated with biblical Christianity. And one of those is the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus, because he had to be both. He had to be a human. He had to be able to face the temptation that we face and had the ability to, to endure that. But he also had to be God because he had to be the perfect sacrifice. So Gnosticism, some of their teachings, that was one of the things that they taught, which, again, um, is a very pivotal teaching because now you're way off course. So that's one thing that uh, John's readers were kind of deal- dealing with or kind of facing against. Um, Gnostics were also perceived as leading Christians astray by the manipulation of words and the twisting of spiritual meanings. So we've already kind of touched on different things like that this morning, right? Again, it seems to be godly has this, the, the appearance of godliness, but really it in no way acknowledges the power of God truly. Again, the idea of Jesus not being fully God and fully human. If we're saying that he wasn't God, we're, not, we're no longer acknowledging the true power of God. That's no longer the truth of the Bible, and we're getting way off track. 
Uh, also, uh, Gnosticism was really a combination of Greek philosophy and Christianity. So there again is that idea of weaving in modern beliefs or other beliefs with the beliefs of Christianity to where as you're reading through it, you see, okay, I remember this from the Bible, I remember this, but then all the lines in between really kind of go completely against the Bible. So that's, again, another, another example of how these things can kind of creep in slowly without us realizing it. So we always need to be alert. And that's why he's calling us here to test the spirits, to not just believe everything that you hear, even when you're in a church like this, even when I'm up here talking or Pastor John's up here talking, um, we encourage you to read through the Bible because if we're getting off track, we need you to correct us. In the same way, if you're somewhere else or even us as we're sharing, uh, trying to share the gospel with people around us, if, if we witness somebody else kind of uh, getting off track and, 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 and getting things wrong and kind of weaving in other beliefs into Christianity, we need to be willing to call that out because we need to stay on task, on the mission, stick to the game plan, and help each other to, as the one united body of Christ, to go forward with that mission. So... Again, like I said, we see many other beliefs being woven in the teaching of Christianity by false teachers, and it's our job to set the record straight and in doing so to preach the word. So that, that mission, that charge that Paul gave Timothy in front of God and Jesus Christ to preach the word, that is both his own responsibility, but he's also, as the rest of us are, we're also called to make sure that the word is being preached. So we preach the word, but make sure the word is being preached. Make sure that when we see other Christians or we see teachers that, that we call out when something is not the truth. So we've already talked about how, you know, we're, we're not the home team. We're, we're now the visiting team. We no longer have the backing of the crowd. And that's what we're going to focus on now as we, as we begin to wrap up is that we are not at home anymore. We're no longer the home team. We no longer have the backing of the crowd. A quick example I have to kind of share this, uh, a little bit of a fun example, um, I'll try to keep this as uh, general as possible. Um, but for those of you who uh, might be Red Wings fans, um, recently there was a documentary that went out that kind of chronicled the rivalry between the Detroit Red Wings and the Colorado Avalanche. Um, now, for me personally, that rivalry in the late 90s, that's really what kind of sparked me and formed me into being the sports fan that I am today. Uh, but really, they did not like each other at all. And what it kind of started out with was a certain player hit another guy into the boards, really dirty hit, bloodied his face up, um, and was not a good situation. That led to a big brawl and a big fight. Now, the guy who was hit had been asked several times, um, or he was wanting the other guy to simply just apologize for hitting him, that, that dirty hit. He just wanted him to apologize. Multiple times throughout the, the documentary, they said if he would have just apologized, none of that would have happened. Um, I like to think that they, you know, that was just their excuse to, to get to go fight them and beat them up, right? Um, but anyway, they said if he would just apologize, everything would have been fine. Now, over the time, the guy who was hit, Chris Draper, um, I'm sure he's been asked over the years if, how he feels about it. The guy who started the fight, his teammate who defended him, Darren McCarty, he has since become friends with the guy who hit his teammate. They're now on good terms, all right? So there's this idea of forgiveness there. Now, Again, all these years later, the guy who made the hit apparently still hasn't apologized. Near the end of the documentary, now I forgot to include the fact that when I first saw this, um, I was able to see it. They had a special screening at Little Caesars Arena. So it was pretty cool uh, up on the big screen, but a big crowd there to watch it. So that was pretty cool to experience that. But at the end of the documentary, they asked Chris Draper. They say, after all these years, you know, all this time has passed, 
um, do you forgive him? And he takes a long pause. He kind of thinks, and he's sitting there. And then after about 10 seconds or so, he goes, no. Um, now, the sports fan in me, you know, I kind of like that because I like rivalries. But then uh, what happened when we were there really kind of opened my eyes like, wow, things are, you know, different here out in the world than they are in the church. Because when he said no, like the crowd erupted with cheers. And so I was like, all right, so we're cheering for unforgiveness. Um, so like I said, you know, there's, there's the aspect of sports and rivalry that I like, but really what it did. And I told pastor John, the, uh, the next day when I saw him, I was like, it just kind of gave me like a, a new perspective of how different, you know, the world is to the church. If we had something like that here, something similar here, someone was sharing their story and somebody says, no, I haven't forgiven him. I don't think we would have erupted in applause. Um, I would hope not. But that's, that was just kind of one example that I can think of recently where it's obvious that we are no longer the home team. We're now the visiting team. But what we're about to see here is that that's not necessarily a new thing. So go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. We're going to read a handful of verses. And we're going to be wrapping up. So Hebrews 13 verses 12, and 12 through 14. <clears throat> It says, wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go, there, go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So, here again, we're reminded that Jesus was the offering for us on the cross to, to, to cover our sins. Um, but as we read throughout this, these verses, we read in... In verse 13, he says, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp. So this idea of going without the camp, that's that idea of leaving false religions behind, going away from the majority. So again, think about this encampment. That's us here in the world. We need to separate ourselves from the world. Go without this encampment and go after the things of, of God. Go after the things of Jesus. Ignore and leave behind these false teachings, these false religions, and go forth towards what God would have us. And as we read throughout in verse 14 is what I really want to focus on. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. No continuing city, meaning we're not here for a long time. We're not here for very long. This is not our home. We're just here temporarily. So this idea of not being here for long, of, but this idea of not being on the home team or the visiting team, in reality, we were always the visiting team. Even as Christians, even as Christians in America, we were always the visiting team because, one, we're only here for a short time, but, two, this world is not our home. And that's what I want to focus on next is uh, the fact that we are not of this world. I'm going to read real quick in John 15 and verse 19. It says there, if, if ye were of the world... The world would love his own. Or, yeah, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So, again, this idea of just because we're Christians doesn't mean everything is going to be great. In fact, it's going to be more likely the opposite. But here we see that we are not of this world. And because of that, the world is going to hate us. So, this world is not our home. But again, we've never been at home here. Uh, and I want to quote, or I read a quote here from Alistair Begg. <clears throat> Alistair Begg said, we should not be surprised that there are times when God's people are sidelined by a society, which is sure that the church's God is irrelevant and which does not want to hear the church's opinion or insight. 
So basically he's saying there, we shouldn't be surprised when we as the church are kind of set aside and ignored by a society that believes that our God is irrelevant, that the teachings of the Bible are irrelevant. If they believe that, then why would it surprise us at all when they ignore us, when they turn away from us, when they, they hate what we're sharing with them? So really it should not surprise us when the world acts worldly. Um, now, yes, it can be discouraging. It can be frustrating many times, uh, especially as we're continuing to try to share the gospel and witness to the world around us. But it shouldn't surprise us when the world uh, begins to act worldly. So this whole idea of we're, yes, we're no longer at home, but we never were at home. We're no longer the home team. We're, we've always been the visiting team. So to kind of wrap things up, it, like I said, it can be easy to look around us at the world today and get discouraged by what we see. It's important to remember, though, that as Christians, this world is not our home. And we're starting to see more and more examples of people calling what was once evil now good. That's something where, you know, I mean, just think about recently. Um, I think about the recent uh, Supreme Court ruling. So many people were upset about that. And so many people were crying out with how horrible that was, that they overturned the, the, the ruling. But then, I don't know from personal experience, I wasn't alive then, but I... I go back to when that ruling was originally made, I would have to imagine there was a much larger majority that was very against that original ruling. And so now we have a ruling on the same case, just opposite rulings, outrage and reaction, but from two different sides. And so now we're, we see that evidence of people calling what was once evil now good. And so it can be really discouraging to look around the world and see that. Um, but this shouldn't surprise us again because the Bible's warned us of it. We've read multiple places just today where Paul was warning Timothy, uh, and we see it in many other places. Um, but once we understand that this should, once we understand this, it shouldn't shock us or surprise us. Now we need to regain our focus. We need to regain our focus and perspective and continue with the game plan that we've given, which is to preach the word. So uh, a couple of different things that we can think about. The best way to stay on task with the game plan is to remind ourselves, again, that this is not our home. Once we remind ourselves that this is not our home, we can say, okay, I need to refocus, get back onto the game plan. Um, and uh, understanding this world is not our own changes our perspective in two main ways. So once we realize that, we comprehend the fact, okay, this isn't my home, then I get two, two kind of new perspectives. One, we understand that our time here is limited and valuable. So we need to take advantage of the time that we have here to witness to those around us. Uh, and we should take that into account when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. The, the idea that our, our time is, is very limited uh, and very valuable because of that, that limited time. So take that into account when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. Don't miss out on an opportunity. Don't avoid an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And then the second way that it, it gives us a new perspective is we begin to view things from an eternal viewpoint. So what do I mean by an eternal viewpoint? Well, to truly live uh, life from an eternal viewpoint or an eternal perspective, that allows us to keep our eyes focused on the goal. And I think of Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So that's that idea of staying on task, staying on mission, sticking to the game plan and looking forward, not being distracted by the things around us. If we have that eternal perspective, that eternal focus of thinking, this isn't my home. I'm not here for long. I need to take advantage of that time and share the gospel. That's going to help me stay on, on track and keep my eye focused on the goal. 
So two daily reminders that we can take with us today that can help us live life from that eternal perspective, that eternal mindset. One daily reminder that we can give ourselves is that we have a Savior who loves us, who gave his life for us, who wants to have a personal relationship with us. That should be something that we remind ourselves with every single day and live our lives out in a way that reflects that. And then the second daily reminder is he has called us to share that message of him loving us and dying for us, to share that message with the world around us and through our words and our actions. So those are two daily reminders where if we wake up every day and we think those two things, now we're starting the day on the right track. We're thinking about life, viewing life from an eternal perspective, from what God would have us view life through, through the guidelines, what the Bible says. And now we're kind of on track to, to staying on task, staying on the game plan um, as we go forward throughout the day. So yes, it's true that we're no longer the home team, but we've never been the home team. But just because we don't have the support of the crowd around us, we no longer have the majority backing us, we no longer have this huge crowd of supporters pushing us to go forward that does not dismiss us from the game plan that has been given to us. We must continue to preach the word and we can fulfill that game plan because we have Christ to guide us every step along the way. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll wrap up this morning. We're going to go into a time of invitation. So let's go ahead and bow in prayer as we go into invitation. Dear God, I thank you again for today. Thank you again for bringing us together this morning and for taking us into your word, God. And I pray uh, for those of us this morning who maybe have been discouraged by the world that we see around us. Um, It can be very discouraging, very disheartening, very frustrating to just see how the world lives. Um, And it it can be difficult for us to live how we know we've been called to live when we have these distractions around us, God, and these these encouraging things. people of the world around us to kind of pull you away from, pull us away from you, God. I pray that we would uh, be able to refocus ourselves, our hearts, our lives toward you, that we would focus on you each and every day to be able to more easily um, avoid these distractions, God, but that doesn't mean those distractions are no longer going to be there. But God, I pray for those of us who have been discouraged by these things. I pray that we uh, can look into your word and, and realize that this isn't anything new. This isn't news to us, God, that uh, we were warned of this. God, you gave us a warning through Paul, through others, about what things were going to be like, God. But at the same time, we still have the encouragement of your word to stay on task, to stay with the, the game plan. And we have the encouragement of each other, of our fellow Christians, to, to keep us on the path and to, to come alongside so that we can come together as one unified uh, body of Christ to fulfill the commission, the great commission that you've given us, God. So I pray uh, that if there's any of us here who uh, would, maybe, maybe we feel that uh, we would like to be on track more, that we would like to preach the word more, but we get easily distracted, or maybe we don't know the words to say, we're afraid to do it, God, I pray that you would help us with that, that you would re- reveal to us that you are there with us, that it's, we're just called to take the word to people. We're just called to share the truth, and you're the one who saves those people, God. So I pray that as we uh, go through this time of invitation, that you would just reveal in our hearts maybe areas uh, on this, this subject matter that maybe we're struggling or that we have a hard time with, God, and that you would just help us to give that over to you and just fully give everything to you, God, so that we can look to you first in everything that we say and do. Just bless us as we go into this time of invitation. Pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.